All right. So we are joined by Max Blumenthal. You all know him. Max Blumenthal is an award-winning journalist as well as the editor-in-chief and founder of the independent investigative news website, The Gray Zone. He's also the best-selling author of several books, including Goliath, The 51-Day War, and The Management of Savagery. Max, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Good to see you. Good to Glad see to you. Glad to be back. Yes. Um, all right. So I sent you an email. So we're just going to cover the MCU today. So you saw the Marvels, right? <laughs> Are you screwing with me? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, no, my volume. You know, they show low. that to those sad looking middle aged men in that Ukrainian video. And it, well, they yeah, that song, it, well, and they, 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 they the showed Marvels. it right before yeah. she started singing. I know. <laughs> all right. So you what is, what is the MCU? That's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now that is a man dedicated to his work. Don't pretend yeah. you don't keep, know what and it keep is. It, keep it. Yeah, they, he's pretending, man. The most important CIA I only know about. I only know about the MIC. The MIC. That's right. That's, that's see, see, he's, he's dedicated. Wait, he's there's dedicated. heroes there. That that's who you want exposing the deep state. Did you not see Black Panther, where where the guy from the Hobbit? Or no, the office of British one played the kindly CIA agent who wants to help this. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, Max, Max, Max. Ac actually, I, I, I will say this because the MIC is so involved in rewriting the screenplays for these movies in order to give people the impression that the CIA is our friend that you could expand your beat out to that just from that angle. Um, but you and Aaron had some fun with the Washington Post uh, this weekend. Uh, so the Washington Post was preparing to do a hit piece on, uh, on the gray zone, on you guys, and on the electronic intifada. Um, and now, now it says quite a lot about um, the Washington Post that you would have a virulent Zionist even writing this story. Um, so we have from uh, from this is the editor in chief of Electronic Intifada, Ali Abu Nama. Uh, when Washington's Post, Liza Dwaskin was at Columbia, she denied Nakba, claiming there was no Palestinian nation and Palestine, with hundreds of villages and cities was home to just a few, quote, desert Bedouins. That's who's assigned to write about Intifada. And here we see in the Columbia Spectator, it is one thing to come out against abuses. This, this was her academic writing at Columbia. And another to indict the state of Israel for an illegitimate existence. As the gift of the British, who only got the territory as a result of a colonial war, one can see Israel as existing on stolen land. But stolen from whom? Before the British swept in, there was no Palestinian nation. The territory was taken from the ailing Ottoman Empire and consisted of desert Bedouins without a sense of national identity as we know it today. <laughs> I, I guess oh. you cram them in that one space they made to develop that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Max. You, you want to tell us briefly what's wrong with that analysis? Was it because because this there's a very common myth among Zionists a uh, a land without a people for a people without a land. Wait, is so is that so is so that's completely untrue then? Well, there. I mean, yeah. that's just the Zionist justification for the Nakba. That even Theodore Herzl, the guru of Zionism, understood 
that the Palestinians were a a real political entity and a cultural and social coherent entity, but and and so too did um, Zev Jabotinsky, sort of the ideological godfather of Netanyahu. He wrote a whole paper called "The Iron Wall," which basically argued that the um, Jewish colonists who had come to the land of Palestine wouldn't be able to form a nation without an iron wall of bayonets, which is basically acknowledging that there's a real people there and a real nation that is going to resist them if they try to dominate them. So this is uh, this is like 2023 right now. I don't know when Liza DeVoskin wrote that, but I assume it's in the modern or postmodern era when we understand that colonialism is wrong and she's still trying to justify it in a college paper. I mean, this is just weird and anachronistic and well, the Washington Post hires her as their social media reporter. I mean, this is the important background on her. They hire her as the social media reporter. So what does that mean in a newspaper like the Washington Post or the New York Times or Bloomberg? It means that she's basically a tool for the intelligence services and the censorship industrial complex. And her job is to punch down at dissenters and paint them all as uh, you know, secret, you know, as puppets of Russian meddling, or in this case, she's going after Palestinian disinformation is what she thinks she's doing, um, instead of going after the powerful apartheid state that she obviously has a great affinity for. She's not going to go against her parents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Matt, uh, Max, do you have any problems with your relatives, or are they all on board? Are you, are you maybe like distant family, but they kind of know they're going to lose the argument, so they. They stay, but, uh, they I wasn't I wasn't that. really like raised Zionist. I was raised, you know, I went to Hebrew school and was raised around a lot of Jewish people, but my immediate family didn't really tell me you have to love Israel. I think they're all pretty uncomfortable. They were always there was always like a level of discomfort about it because I mean, why wouldn't you be if you're a decent person? Well, let let me ask you something actually because this is something I keep meaning to research. And as you know, uh, the world is on fire and there's so much to keep up with. It's very hard to, fu- to do any extracurricular research. I, my experience of Hebrew school is that it's Zionist training camp. And I, I talked to Katie Halper about this. She seemed to confirm that. Was that your experience? I mean, my experience was they teach you Hebrew and Zionism. And that's it. No, I mean, it, it really wasn't. Um, we got more of the Holocaust experience. Um, one of my teachers survived a death camp and so you know one day i come in after school and it's like i already had like this long day at school it's raining it's dreary out and she just comes in the room and starts talking about a death camp and the men and the women and children being divided i mean just you know for two hours i was treated to a real horror story and it, it, it actually traumatized me um but you know and 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 it was i mean it's real stuff what about the passion um, of the so Christ? How did that make you feel? <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, then I felt so guilty for killing Jesus after watching the Mel Gibson. <laughs> then I just forgave him. My friend growing up used him. to say I just, that uh, I, the I passion of the Christ. Hitler after I saw that. You should have stayed in India. It seemed India. like a good idea at the time, yeah. what we did to Jesus. So it seemed like the right idea at the time. And a lot of people were into it. In, high, in hindsight, a lot of people were into it. The, ho- the Holocaust, you know, when you when you learn about it and you get it in your psychological bloodstream, it can go either way. And it's like, what lessons do you want to take away from it? The Jews that are protesting 
this genocidal slaughter, what I call the Gaza Holocaust, that are protesting it, shutting down the Capitol. They're taking the lesson of never again to anyone. That's right. kind of the lesson that That's was That's what I thought it was. Me. I thought it was that. Yeah. It was not that, I guess. Well, you see, at Hebrew school, they talked a lot about the Holocaust, but because of the Holocaust, you had to be a Zionist, which is very much what you hear from Zionists. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the message Steven Spielberg, who was at the Golden Globes last night where the Gaza Holocaust was not mentioned once. Steven Spielberg put that forward in Schindler's List. It's like the the ultimate Holocaust movie that really um, consolidated the narrative, the Zionist narrative of the Holocaust in American popular culture, right. which is, you know, just you're treated to endless horrors throughout this film. And then at the end, it's no longer in black and white. It's in color. And the survivors are in Jerusalem and they're going to Yad Vashem, uh, which where you can actually see the village of Deria Sin, the site of one of the worst massacres of the of the Nakba. Uh, you can see it from there and they're going there. And it's basically like Israel is our deliverance from the Holocaust. That's the Spielberg right. mainstream message. And well, now that's you why have he this, lives uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <why. laughs> yeah. He, he loves it so much. There. It's because it's such a it's a, such a safe place to be right. a Jew. Yeah, I mean, well, leaving aside the fact that you can get rocketed, uh, taken captive because you're like living next door to a, 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 a like open air prison camp for the uh, captive natives. Which, which I got uh, leaving say, all that aside. Seems, yeah, that Israelis like are the worst drivers on the planet. Uh, <laughs> they have like the, one of the highest. <laughs> they have like one of the highest rates of car accident deaths on the planet because they drive like they're driving tanks. Or like they're they or like they're gonna drive <laughs> drive over a Palestinian's car in a tank. Uh, so I was an Uber driver. I used to drive through a Hasidic neighborhood. Literally, this is not a joke. I went to drop a woman off at a hospital. I pull up. I have to double park because there's a car parked next to the thing. This guy tries to drive between us. I mean, there was not three feet between cars. Like he was going to crash into. He just comes full speed honking the horn. I had to honk my horn. I got it. I said, "What the hell are you doing?" There's literally three feet between these cars. Your plan is to just barrel through the cars. So yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you he see a park the cars. guy in a <laughs> he, he was occupying your parking right space. That was obviously his plan. The Hasids are all about business. I mean, when oh, you yeah. see him barreling through in their minivan, you just get out of the way. <laughs> they got somewhere to be. Oh, yeah. Uh, no. So So now when you look through this reporter's Twitter, as a lot of people have done now, it's remarkable it's remarkable that she would be assigned to cover this story. She's retweeting Barry Weiss. She's just retweeting the most, the most absolutely extreme, insane Zionist talking points uh, to, to the degree that if you were a newspaper who cared at all about truthful reporting, you, her, her Twitter alone would be grounds for firing unless you want to put her on the food desk or something. She she can she can cover hot cuisine. Have you seen the well, other New York Times people? <laughs> well, this is this is Wapo, not not that the Times is. Oh, any, I'm sorry, Wapo. Not oh, have that you the seen Times the other Washington Post articles? Um, so so she was she was about to do a hit piece. How did you guys get word of the hit piece? Did she send you an email? Hey, I'm gonna question your credibility because there was an email involved, right? Exactly. Yeah, and she basically said just that. She said, uh, "This is a piece about." You minimizing the atrocities of October 7th. She literally and, wrote uh, that to you? Yes. And she said, you have been uh, one of the main outlets uh, writing about how Israelis were killed on October 7th by the Israeli military, which is something that happened. That happened. <laughs> Wait, what? It's not even questionable. Why? It's not even. 
It's not even up for debate. The Israeli, Israeli government that. admits Lucky that. you. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, and so I didn't even know she had emailed me, even though my direct messages on Twitter X are, are open. That would have been a, the best way to reach me. Um, but she sent it to our public email, and I don't think she expected me to call or email back. But she did write a longer well, email to, to Ali Abunima at Electronic Intifada, and it was like, you are responsible for convincing masses of people that Israel killed everybody on October 7th and that the Hamas attack didn't even happen. Essentially, that's what she was implying, and that we were spreaders of disinformation and conspiracy theorists. And, you know, the whole playbook of these downward punching lackeys for the intelligence services and the deep state. That's basically what she was going to do. So Ali wrote a really devastating response to her in print and published it on Twitter. And I saw it and I said, wait a minute, I bet you she's gunning for us too. So I checked our public email <laughs> where I diligently try to respond to everyone like Noam Chomsky does. Right. And <laughs> there she was, Liza Devoskin, uh, calling us minimizers of atrocities and, you know, <laughs> what does maybe that mean? First degree minimizing. Yes, exactly. Well, Our, yeah, I mean, we would have, we, I wanted to find out. So that's why I called her. All right. So let's, uh, let's take a look at the beginning of this phone call. I'm just going to, uh, take a look at her first reaction and then we'll get into the meat of it's it. It's weird. I'm here and I'm like, I'm the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, hi. Is this Elizabeth Devoskin? May I ask who's calling? Yeah, hi. It's Max Blumenthal from the Gray Zone, and I'm here with my colleague, Aaron Mate. Oh, okay. Thank you so much for calling. Sure. Um, yeah. You wanted so to talk about our factual journalism? <laughs> um, I want to interview for my piece. Um, yeah, I got an email from you accusing us of minimizing the atrocities on October 7th. Okay, so so this was just uh, her initial reactions. And so she, she dodges you. She's got another interview. And then you really get into it questioning whether or not she's a Zionist. Wait, wait a minute. She was – you can kind of hear her chewing – She's like eating Sabra hummus or something. It's almost <laughs> 5 p.m. on a Friday. I, I'm on, uh, on trial. And at she this picks point. up at 4.58. And she uh, says that she has a call right then and there, which a work call that's so important. So mm -hmm. why would you pick up your phone? Is it really normal to be like chowing down right before you have an important work call? And how many people who work nine to five have an important work call at 5 p.m. on Friday? So I just don't believe that she had another call. But anyway. Well, at first she ducked you because you called her twice, right? At first she didn't yep, pick yep, up. Yep. And you're like, let's try again. And then exactly. she picked up. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so now you ask her the million-dollar question. You have minimized the Nakba of Palestinians writing for Columbia University's paper. You describe them as just a bunch of desert Bedouins. Are you a Zionist? You know, I'm I'm not sure, like... I, I mean, I see you retweeting Barry Weiss, who's a major supporter of the Israeli genocide in Gaza, and I need to know, are you ideologically committed to the system of Zionism? And I'm, it's very curious that someone like that would be assigned to this story. Uh, and it's also curious to me that the Washington Post refuses to investigate 
the real story and hold accountable this powerful apartheid state and is instead attacking independent journalists. You are afflicting the afflicting, afflicted and comforting the powerful as the Washington Post has traditionally done. So why, why should we even trust you to set up some kind of call? I mean, that is completely up to you uh, to do so. Are you a Zionist? <laughs> I mean, that is completely up to you to set up a call. This isn't about any personal biases, ideologies. That's not what this Do you support Israel's military campaign in Gaza? Excuse me, what is it? I feel like you're interrogating me and my well, other you call des- is starting. You deserve um, to be interrogated. It's highly inappropriate that someone who seems to have such deep affection for an apartheid state committing genocide would be assigned to this story and is attacking independent journalists who produce factual journalism on a major scandal instead of holding to account the state and military responsible for that scandal. And by the way, why is the Washington Post always minimizing genocide, the attack on the Maghazi refugee camp? It was referred to as just uh, strikes against Hamas in the Washington Post. Where? Okay, can you, can you explain that? Yeah, Israel dropped GBU 2,000-pound bunker buster bombs on a densely populated refugee camp, killed 70 people in one strike. There's no military value at all. They just did it for fun. And then they went and said, yeah, we did it, but uh, we used the wrong weapon. We, needed, we wanted to use a smaller bomb. So the, the Washington Post headline was... They literally said that. You know what minimizes uh, uh, what what was done to those uh, innocent Israelis? Uh, Killing double, 10 times the number of people. That tends to minimize the initial. Yeah, you know, and I I gotta say, the more I looked into this, why are you having a music festival next to a concentration camp? Why are you, why, is really? Like you can enjoy yourself knowing that these people are locked in on the other side of the wall? Yeah. I mean, you can literally see electrified fencing with machine gun turrets on top. That's probably why you felt comfortable. Looked pretty secure. Looks, yeah, yeah. This looks <laughs> seems safe. Uh, yeah, it's that like the ultimate gated community. But uh, <laughs> not a bug. I actually, it's a yeah, feature. As a side note, I actually went to a classical music concert held on the frontier of Gaza by one of the most famous Israeli conductors. I I covered it, and they their aim was to blast classical music Beethoven into Gaza and hopefully convince them to become more civilized and release this one Israeli captive that they had who was a soldier, Gilad Shalit. Um, oh, yeah, and they ultimately that. did release him in exchange well, for a thousand so for, for, it, Yeah, that was, that was the big prisoner so maybe, exchange. Right. So maybe the Beethoven worked, as Kurt said, but oh. highly bizarre colonial insanity is, is present in Israel all the time. So anyway, yeah, uh, where were we in the call? Okay, so. Where is this, yeah, so the, the, wait, wait, so the Washington Post headline of that massacre was uh-huh. Israel deepens strikes against Hamas or intensifies strikes against Hamas. It wasn't Israel massacres 70 civilians for no reason. Dresden. Or, right. The, these, are, <laughs> these are blasts, right? They, were, they report oh, blasts, as, yeah. as blasts now. All right. Where is the report? On all of the Israeli social media posts, the TikTok posts celebrating the genocide of Gaza, mocking people in Gaza for having their water and energy turned off, the Israeli soldiers in Gaza proudly committing war crimes on TikTok, broadcasting it to the world. Have you written one story about that as the social media reporter? 
So feel free to send me anything, any articles or clips that you <laughs> feel free to answer the question. Being a sub that you feel free to send me art, any articles or clips. See, this is why nobody trusts corporate media and why they're reading electronic intifada in the gray zone, because you can't even answer these questions. You can't even tell us about your own Zionism and why you're doing this hit piece. You're, I'm really just taken aback. Why? I'm taken aback. <laughs> okay, well, I apologize for being taken aback, but I feel like the next step, the natural step that anyone does when one is interviewing a story subject is, or anyone who's mentioned or has a reference in a story, is to talk the whole thing through, to schedule a time and talk it through. So that's all I'm saying. Um, you didn't even ask me in the email so to schedule a time or talk it through. So I apologize. You could have sent um, questions. Because I'm running late to another call. Um, so I'll send a follow-up email to your email with suggesting some times. Does that work? Do you, do you still believe that, that Palestinians, that the people of Palestine were just desert Bedouins before, before Israel? Okay. Liza Devoskin of the Washington Post has hung up on us. <laughs> yeah, you, that, you was, know, that was the, that was the limit. Do you think she's even an, like this kind of chick that works at Washington Post, the great where the great Taylor Lorenz works? I I, I was thinking of Taylor think Lorenz got, through this uh, entire yeah, thing. They're all like the fish speakers from Dune. Like you don't have to even tell them what the plan is. They're already pre-programmed to carry it out, no matter what. Well, that yep. that those are the only people who get those jobs, right? Yep. Um, so that's did a great she, point. Did she so ever? Max, she emailed you, right? She emailed you. And then she, so what was she so taken aback for? Did she not expect you to reach out? Did she not expect you to call her? Like, how was she expecting that to go? I think she expected us to see, uh, to, to seek her le legitimization that like we would want her to, um, tr we would want to be treated with respect by her and to be seen in a positive light by the Washington Post art audience and that we wouldn't treat her and the billionaire owned post as an enemy of the people, um, which is how we see the whole corporate media. Um, so she, she thought you were going to call up and say, what can we do to straighten this out where yeah, you can yeah. say no, some no, nicer no, you, things I think where you're mis Yeah, exactly. You're misunderstanding us. And it's just like, no, oh, I'm okay. just going to, if we, you're in the corporate media and you want to write a hit piece about us, the only way that you're going to hear from me is when I'm going to put a middle finger in your face in front of everyone because that's because because that's what people need to to see and feel in this moment. The corporate media is complicit in this genocide. They helped Israel consolidate the narrative that they needed to gain the political support to carry out the most heinous slaughter of of children and civilians and mothers and fathers we've ever seen in our life in order to maintain an apartheid system and a permanent occupation. And they deserve every bit of contempt that the public wants to give them. You're minimizing Man, what yeah, was done by Hamas right now. <laughs> do you condemn yeah. Hamas? Yeah. Do you condemn I mean, Hamas? You condemn Hamas. Every, <laughs> every question, the only questions that we're supposed to answer as independent media or average people or activists, the only questions that we're allowed to answer are ones that compel you to display your obedience to power. So do you condemn Hamas? There's only one right answer to that question. And when you say yes, it means you comply with the apartheid Israel right, right. and Palestinians have no right to resist at all. And you just bow down. There's no thinking allowed. There's no context. There's no history. Turn off your brains. Be stupid. 
Let uh, Netanyahu and his genocide machine just roll on through. And that's Liza Devoskin's job. Um, I condemn Hamas so much that I condemn Bibi for paying them and keeping them afloat all these years. <laughs> like, before you even get to the battle, like, oh, they're terrible, right? Why were you propping them up? Your, pr your prime minister? Openly? Oh. Well, then, uh, and then you had Biden, we just showed this, in South Carolina, He's quiet. saying we're quietly doing everything that we can. You're paying for it. You don't have to quiet anything. Just stop paying for it. Yeah, we're quietly doing stuff. stuff to. Yeah, he, he just, like, gave away the game right there. Israel well, was is Matthew Miller committing genocide. It was Matthew Miller who gave away the game to you, Max. I mean, we covered that on our show when you uh, first grilled him. This was, I think, a couple days after October 7th. And he said, we are going to handle disputes with Israel in private, meaning we are going to settle any disagreements we have with how they're doing this with your money away from the public eye. And what we've seen since then has been totally consistent with what he said. Oh, yeah, we're very disturbed by the death of the journalist in Lebanon. We'll look into that. That was already almost three months ago. No follow-up on that. Jabalia refugee camp. Oh, yeah, no, we, we're very upset by the loss of civilian life. Wolf Blitzer went on the air. He grilled the IDF guy. What happened here? Why did you – so you knew there were hundreds of civilians who were going to be killed and you did it anyway? Yeah, no follow-through on that. It seems like they're just buying time until Israel can execute whatever their uh, – pardon the phrase, final solution may be. So we've seen the North totally emptied out. Um, now we have an overcrowded South. We hear reports that they are looking for countries to take the people who they have crowded into the South, even though the narrative at the beginning of the war was nobody wants them. Now all of a sudden that they want to get rid of them, well, we're in talks with people who want them, right? To have everything yeah. changes, yeah. right? Um, so what is your prediction like how much longer is this bombardment going to last and what is their end game is their end game to just take the north as in israeli flag in the ground because we heard from anthony blinken it was reported today that he wants the people to be able to go back go back to what there's nothing there right uh, and as far as the people in the south what do you see is going to happen to them and how how long will this violence last like how much longer will this and can this go on well the israelis the Israeli military has failed in all of its military objectives in three months. It's failed to eradicate Hamas. It's failed to compel the people of Gaza to turn on Hamas. It's failed to capture any hostages. It's succeeded in killing some hostages who are begging them to cap take them away. Uh, it's failed to even demonstrate that its aura of military domination has returned because day after day, you, you still see Tel Aviv under rocket attack. You still see Israeli tanks getting taken out by guys in sandals with homemade RPGs. Um, you're seeing soldiers die, officers dying day after day. So is, Israel's military command has called for this war to basically continue throughout 2024, which will be a political disaster for Biden. It could also be a political disaster within Israel. I mean, you have protesters outside Netanyahu's residence and the Israeli Knesset calling for new elections, and the crowds are growing. Um, Netanyahu is increasingly under pressure. Israeli society is becoming destabilized. Its economy is being wrecked. You have thousands and thousands of men who work jobs, uh, who are in, uh, serving in the re as, as reserves, and they're not unable to come back to work. So uh, there are so many factors that could disrupt and prevent Israel from continuing this operation for another year. You look at what happened in South Carolina today. 
the only young people in that room in South Carolina were there to protest genocide right. Joe right. and demand a ceasefire. Right. And when they were dragged out, you see a, just a room full of loyal, subservient senior citizens chanting four more years. And next to Biden is Jim Clyburn, the old Democratic machine hack who you know shivved Bernie in the back and shivved Nina Turner. That's, that's all Biden really has. But the problem for Biden is he's going to decide at some point that Israel's Israel's unable to uh, achieve its objectives. The genocide is just so ugly that it's destroying uh, American leadership on the world stage. Who's going to pay for his campaign? Because the Democrats, like the Republicans, depend heavily on pro-Israel money. And you can look at what just happened at Harvard as a microcosm of the 2024 presidential campaign and who really calls the shots in American politics. It isn't the young activists who are shutting down airports and bridges and tunnels in New York. It's the billionaire class. Uh, and at Harvard, you had a battle of the billionaires, the right-wing billionaires of Bill Ackman, this plutocratic thug from Pershing Square Capital with his plagiarist wife, who's gunning not just for the uh, president of Harvard, the first black president of Harvard University, but the person who's really in charge, Penny Pritzker, who runs the Harvard Corporation, another corrupt billionaire, another pro-Israel billionaire who's in charge of the endowment, who bought that position for herself by making a $100 million contribution to Harvard. And now Ackman's trying to take out Penny Pritzker and get total control over Harvard. That's Trump versus Biden right there. Penny Pritzker supporting Biden. Bill Ackman's right. going to support right. Trump or whoever the Republican nominee is. And he's also supporting RFK Jr. on the side. And so that's who Biden's accountable to. He's not, he doesn't care about anybody else. Well, that's why. And that's who Trump's going to listen to on Israel-Palestine too. So we, that, that's American democracy. A bunch of billionaires fighting for control of the front-facing manager. And at the end of the day, coming together in support of Israel's genocide. Well, that that's why very often you'll see people who consider themselves anti-establishment who will align with people like Elon Musk. And it's just, yeah, it, it's just such a phenomena of oligarchy. It's the peasants picking which lord they are in service yep. to. Pick your favorite yep. demigod. What's the problem? <laughs> exactly. I like Liza Dwozga, by the way, has a, a whole bunch of Ukraine flags and <laughs> of, of, of course she well, does. Of course she does. The Nazis of Ukraine that we support. That's my favorite part is watching that whiplash. All right. So, Max, while we still have you, I just wanted to I know you're not feeling great. I just wanted to get into a little bit because I think a lot of people don't know where these stories come from. And you just dropped this uh, last month. Um, so this was in the gray zone, December 6th. Scandal stained Israeli rescue group fuels October 7th fabrication. So these fabrications, just like the January 6th, the, the uh, officers who were killed by the crowd, they just want to repeat it until people believe it. So just a little bit from this piece. Founded by a serial rapist known as the Haredi Jeffrey Epstein, Israeli ultra-Orthodox rescue group Zaka is responsible for some of the most obscene post-October 7th atrocity fabrications, from beheaded babies to mass rape to a fetus cut from its mother. Secretary of State Tony Blinken and President Joseph Biden have each echoed demonstrably false Zaka testimonies about Hamas atrocities. 
marred by allegations of financial fraud, Zaka is leveraging October 7th publicity to raise unprecedented sums of cash. Its rival, United Hatzala, has spun out bogus tales of babies baked in ovens as it closes <laughs> in on a $50 million fundraising <laughs> goal. So, Max, can you explain this? Who are these groups oh, that have D been putting these stories into the press that will not die? Well, Max, that is not a DEI writer's room. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, these are the groups that are responsible for the majority of the lies that have been spun out since October 7th that have been discredited, uh, but which everyone from Joe Biden to Tony Blinken to CNN have pumped out to the public to consolidate the narrative and gain the political support Israel needed to go in <clears throat> and blow up 80% of the homes in Gaza, at least 80% of the homes in northern Gaza. Um, so they, so they, these are, I mean, it's all summed up there pretty well. The southern commander of Zaka, it's a supposed rescue group. And whenever you hear about testimonies from rescuers in U.S. media, they're always referring to them and specifically this character, Yossi Landau. Uh, he supposedly confirmed that babies had been beheaded right. in, the, in the kibbutzim outside Gaza. Totally false. But he was used to legitimize that. Well, if you think there's any doubt about this, then here's Yossi Landau. He was there on the scene. He just lied. Right. He uh, cooked up completely the story of a fetus cut out of a pregnant woman, which was repeated widely. And then Tony Blinken, when he testified before the Senate, was asked, Senate Foreign Relations Committee was asked, why don't you call for a ceasefire now? Like 15,000 are dead. He said, because we know about a mother who was mutilated and her children had their hands and legs cut off. And then they were burned alive while the terrorists ate lunch in the next room, which is completely false, made up. It was made what up by Yossi Landau. <laughs> What's that? What are they having? <laughs> uh, go on. Yeah, I mean, no, it, well, I, so I, I heard so that absurd story. that you want to. You, it's so absurd. It like tempts humor. But I mean, the reality is uh, in many cases when he's describing finding families that were burned, in many cases, they were actually shelled by Israeli tanks. Um, and this is pretty well confirmed. So Landau's a complete fraud. He's called, he said that anyone who questions him should be killed like the Hamas terrorists. So I guess he wants me to be killed. Uh -huh. Zaka, the organization, as mentioned there, was founded by um, Yehuda Meshi Zahav, who is well known in the very closed off Israeli ultra orthodox community in Jerusalem as the Haredi Jeffrey Epstein or the Orthodox Jeffrey Epstein, because he really enjoyed raping boys and girls. Um, he just would rape everybody. He would sexually molest anybody he could get his hands on. That was his reputation. That's a Jimmy Savile. That's way uh, I was just thing. thinking of Jimmy Savile. He's a he's he's got a he obviously had some kind of psychosexual disorder like Jimmy Savile and he was so powerful that he would threaten his victims and they were terrified of him because of the power he had in the orthodox community uh and the Israeli state really loved him because here you have all these ultra orthodox people who live in a closed off hermetic community uh they don't want to do military service they don't really want to participate in the state and this guy Meshi Zahav 
he creates an organization that actually is willing to work with the Israeli army and willing to work with the foreign ministry. And what they do is they go out and collect body parts and make sure they get a proper Jewish burial, like if there's a car accident or in a right. war. So they're, they're getting the ultra-Orthodox to participate in the state. So they gave him the Israel Prize, which is like Israel's version of the Nobel Prize or <laughs> Congressional Medal of Honor. And then like two days after he gets the prize, given to him, by the way, by the current defense minister, Yoav Gallant, who's overseeing the assault on Gaza, two days afterwards, all the allegations come out about him being a mega rapist of youth of both genders. And so he attempts suicide, goes into a coma. He died last year. The organization was under his control up until that point, this mass rapist. And now all the bogus stories of Hamas mass rape, not all of them, but many of them originate from this same organization, which is incredibly ironic. Which, which then, is, yeah, uh, there's something you get into in the article. They have no qualifications as coroners. No, to, to they be have going no, they and, have no and, qualification to do forensic analysis or to analyze the conditions of anyone's death. And Yossi Landau, this fabricator and fabulist, was featured in this new New York Times article about how Hamas deployed rape on a systematic scale on October 7th. And he's quoted in the article stating, I really regret not taking any photographs. I didn't think I was allowed to at the time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. And then so the other thing they say is, uh, the other thing they say is uh, because of Jewish burial ritual, the uh, Israeli um, authorities were unable to collect forensic evidence proving any of these allegations of rape. Right. Well, so the, well of basically, course, you if you question cars, it, right? you're an anti-Semite. Right. Of course. So I think a lot of people, that's why I wanted to get into this, because this is what Zionists will always come back at you with these atrocities. And I, I don't think until I read your article, I didn't know this, that this is coming from organizations that don't even have any training to be assessing conditions of bodies. There's uh, evidence. There's no scientific basis. This, this is this is coming from these Zionist fanatics um, that that just use their position to spread these stories. Is that correct? They are incentivized to do so. I mean, the other story of the baby baked in an oven, which clearly evokes the Holocaust, right. de was deployed by the director of the competitor to Zaka, United Hatzalah. It's basically like if there's a bad road rack in Israel and a death, right. these organizations will all race out and they're all competing to get the to get the body parts and then to say that they helped with the burial and you'll have all these ultra orthodox guys just like coming out of nowhere on these little motorbikes with with protective vests on. United Hatzalah is the other, you know, Zaka wears red, they wear green. It's like the sharks and the jets. And so United <laughs> Hatzalah they went to uh Sheldon Adelson's casino uh -huh. in Las Vegas for the Republican Jewish Coalition's annual gathering, which is like, you know, you get every NFL owner in the room and they just put up a ton of money. And he spins out this story, the director, Ellie Beer, of a baby baked in an oven just so that they would so that they would meet their fundraising goal. There was no evidence at all to support this claim. United Hatzalah had to issue a statement basically uh, renouncing it. But it got around like, you know, you just say this stuff. And if you talk to like your average 
liberal or conservative who follows vague sort of occasionally follows the news, they'll they'll have this in their vocabulary that, oh, well, you know, I mean, it's horrible what's happening in Gaza. But I mean, what are they going to do? Like there were all those all those women were raped. They burned children alive like they beheaded kids. I mean, this is like ISIS. What are you going to do with them? Well, and there's big money in this. You were saying in the article they met their fundraising goal of fifty million dollars, fifty million. Yeah. yeah, and they 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 explicitly state on their page that like uh, they they explicitly ask you for them for to give them money to continue their work on October seventh. I mean, this is like the biggest fundraising bonanza for these groups. Wow. All right, Max, thank you very much for giving us so much of your time. I know you're not feeling well. Where can people find you? What do you want to plug? Um, yeah, everyone, I think everyone watching knows the gray zone, but if you don't go to the site, thegrayzone.com, and sign up for our newsletter and you'll get all of our investigative journalism and video delivered into your mailbox. Follow us on Twitter and, uh, to a certain extent on Instagram when we're not totally censored and yeah. <laughs> our YouTube channel has some good demonetized suppressed material as well. All right, so go hunting for that suppressed shadow band gray zone material on Instagram, YouTube, and of course on the gray zone site where you'll find some great journalism. Max, it was great finally meeting you. You too, Russell, Keaton, and uh, good seeing you, Kurt. Later, brother. Thanks right, so much. In there. Thank you, man. Peace.